0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 2, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. Um, one easy way for you to follow along with what we're going to do this morning is to utilize the Uversion app. We talked about that a lot um, over the past year and a half. And it's just a great way um, to interact with Scripture, to have the opportunity to interact with one another. I was having this, uh, I was having this conversation with a friend uh, this past Friday. We, we communicate a lot of things to our body. Each week we send out a, a weekly email. And if you'd like to be on that list and you're not getting that, come and see me afterwards and I can make sure that you're on that list. But we communicate a lot of things in there. And this particular week, it was funny as I as I'm going through and I'm I'm key I'm typing up what what the texts I know that we're going to talk about this week. Um, if you saw the email, uh, you know there were like 82 million verses that we're going to talk about this week. And as I'm typing all of these verses out, there's like this there's like this little this little thing that's kind of rotating uh, through my brain, like. How many, people, how many people see this and just think we're nuts? Like, how many people see this and think, uh, this is overwhelming to me? This is discouraging to me? I, like, I, I haven't read that much Bible in the last year and a half, much less you want me to read that um, today. And what I want to think about and I want to encourage you on is, is like, it's okay, one of the things that that we believe here at Westway Christian Church that's been it's not just it's not just since in my ministry time here it's it's something that I believed throughout my ministry um, experience. One of the things that we believe is it's the job of it's the job of the church, it's the job of pastors um, to equip the body to provide to provide tools. And what you should know is. Um, like that's not just that's not just something I I made up. It's not something that we've made up. It actually comes from Scripture, and I just want to read um, I want to read Ephesians four eleven uh, through sixteen to you this morning. It says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his church, the body, head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So one of the things that that we really want to try and do is, is come alongside people who are Christians and people who are becoming Christians and people who are in the midst of this transformation that we're really going to talk a lot about today and provide tools and, and not, just, not just say here, you figure this out, but we, we actually want to try and help you do that. So one of the things that we've done now, I think we're on about 18 months of this, is we've created these resource guides that go along with our message series. And as I'm thinking about this email that I sent out the other day, and this actually has been a conversation about two months in the works, because um, we've just heard from different people about how do I use this resource guide? What do I do with it? Uh, we have people ask, like, I'm not sure how to read and study the Bible. Um, those are very real and valid questions for people. So I thought before, before we talked about First Peter, which you're going to get to, First and Second Peter, which you're going to get to in a second, um, I just want to talk through this tool just briefly for you. Because again, it can be easy to get something and, and still like not know, not know what I'm supposed to do with this thing. So when we create, we create this resource guide, um, one of the things that we wanted to be able to do was we wanted to be able to put the biblical text into the resource guide. Some people don't feel comfortable uh, like highlighting or underlining things uh, in their Bible. Um, so we, we kind of know that. So we created this resource guide with, with sort of that in mind. Like, I, I, want to, I still want to be able to interact with things for whatever reason. I, I don't want to write in my Bible. Um, there's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to write in your Bible. Um, there's nothing right with you if you do want to write in your Bible. It's just a personal preference. So one of the things that we want to do is we wanted to put the text of the Scripture itself into the resource guide. Um, if you have yours, you can follow along. If not, you can grab one on your way out today, but we have a series summary of what we're going to be talking about. Um, this particular series we're talking about first and second Peter. First and second Peter are those two, bo- those two letters are a little different um, because they're really not about the same exact thing if that makes sense. Um, They're they're two different uh, letters. We also talk about the background of Peter. Um, There are a lot of verses that we put in there, and Cody told me to do this. There is a typo, there is a verse typo in this long summary on background of Peter's life. I'll give you a hint, it's a verse. The first person who comes up to me and says, I found the typo, like I went to this reference and it wasn't what you talked about, I'm going to give you something. I don't know what I'm going to give you, but I'll give you something if you find it. One of the other things that we thought was important was was we want to we let you know the things, the resources that we are reading and we are studying as we put together all of the things that we do. These are resources. Some of them are some of them are really deep dives, honestly, and some of them are if, if I'm just wanting to get started. And learn how, how to read my Bible. A commentary on First and Second Peter. There's resources um, for that. One of the things that we do at the bottom of this one page is this little QR code. If you have a um, your phone, you can scan that, and it will take you to an electronic version of this document where all of these resources are links that you can click on. See what we what we want to do is it's our job to equip you. It's our job. To teach you, it's our job to show you how to use your Bible, how to learn and grow in your faith. We're not doing any of the things that we do on a Sunday morning here in a vacuum. And you know, some of the big big resources I talk about the Bible Project quite a bit. Just just book overview videos that are really easy to read, really really easy to watch, really easy to understand. Um, We also provide um, a series schedule. One of the things that we want to do is we want to let you know what we're going to be talking about next. In the hopes, in the hopes that as you as you get ready to come on a Sunday morning, like you might read the text that we're going to talk about next week. To prepare yourself. This is this is as as people who are maturing and growing in our Christian walk, we want to be prepared. We want to be ready to hear. um, And that's that's why we include that series schedule. And then, and then, lastly, right before you get to the text, we have we have two pages that are that are basically like basic Bible study methods. So when I'm reading this and I'm I'm trying to like figure out like what do I do like like how do I study the Bible? We we talk about this all the time. I'm talking about it right now, and I still don't know practically what that looks like. Well, it's in there, but it's also on this sheet right here. It's called as you read. And one of the best things that you can do is just, like, this one has a bunch of little icons on it. So as you're reading through and you see, like, hey, that's a really important verse in this particular chapter, um, you can just put an asterisk by that. Um, if you feel like something is specifically aimed at you, you can use the, I think that's the greater sign. Right? These, are just, these are just ways to, to help us get into Scripture because it's not easy. I know some people, they didn't have a hard time making a transition from not reading and understanding the Bible to being able to study it. But that's not the experience of most people. These are just very basic things. And then on the other side is just a basic interpretation, observation, interpretation, um, like ask helping me ask questions of the text that I'm reading. And then lastly, we have, we have the Bible itself. Right, we have the text um, and then on the other side, we've tried to put a space for notes. We want to equip you. We want to give you tools. We want you, when you go into your small group, to have done something like this so that, so that we can talk about what, what the Bible actually says and what we're supposed to be learning and growing from it. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you haven't picked one of these up yet, pick one up on the way out. We do. We are limited in quantity, just so you know that. Um, we're only allowed to print 200 That's as much as the publisher allows us um, to print, so we encourage you to grab one um, while you can. Um, My guess is they're not going to be here in two weeks. So if you want one of these, we encourage you um, to grab that. And today, what we're talking about is we're talking about um, who Peter is. And I'm just going to read this. This This is right from the study guide. This is right from that resource guide. Simon Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples. Um, Over the course of the four Gospels, the book of Acts, uh, two letters written by him, what we do is we get this picture of who Peter is. We have this image of who Peter is, and I I like the way Cody Cody described it. Um, Peter is a brash and impulsive fisherman. And we're going to talk about some of those stories today where we just see his Uh, his immediate actions so many times he's a brash and impulsive fisherman and over a period of time he becomes a boldly confident follower of Jesus and what's most interesting or what's interesting about those those two different things um, is it's kind of the same side of the coin right Peter is brash and he's impulsive and now he becomes confident and those two things sound very similar and what's going on here is God is, God is taking someone, like he's, he's working with what he has. And for us, this, this ought to be just really, really, really good news. God is taking what he has to work with, and he's making something amazing out of it. He's taking a person that, that we would typically write off. Fishermen were not highly regarded in the time of Jesus He's taking someone that we would write off and and we probably find a little bit annoying because of the way he constantly does things. And God does something amazing with him. He transforms him. And this this series that we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks now is divided into two parts, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And 1 Peter, um, at the end of the book or the letter of 1 Peter, Peter writes that he's writing from Babylon. Now, he wasn't writing from Babylon not geographically. We talked about, I think it was two years ago now, two years ago in our Revelation series, like how every, every nation state eventually becomes Babylon, right? rises up, wields power in bad ways. And Peter is writing from Babylon. He's writing um, likely from Rome. And this was between AD 62 and 63. And he's writing to God's people who have, who have been dispersed throughout the known world. And he's encouraging them to persevere in their faith um, despite persecution. See this, this sounds like a lot of other stories in the Bible. I was talking to another friend of mine a couple weeks ago about this. And I said, you know, when I'm reading through First Peter, I, this sounds very Jeremiah-ish. A writing to a people who are in exile, who are in captivity, who are in the midst of all sorts of cultural elements coming against them. And he's telling them to persevere. He's telling them to live like they've been transformed. And then 2 Peter was written a few years after that. And Second Peter is a little different. He's defending the gospel He's, he's writing a warning to believers to be on guard against false teachers and false teachings. And that, that kind of sounds like something maybe we need today, doesn't it? We need to be able to recognize what false teachings are. It's a challenge to endure, and it's a reminder that Jesus is coming again. They needed to remember that, and, and we've called that be on guard. But our question today is, who is Peter? How did this transformation happen? How do, we, how do we go from a fisherman to the story we're going to read at the end today, Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem? Like, how did, how did we get there? Well, there are a lot of verses, and we're not going to read all of them today, but we are going to read um, a few of them. The first one, Cody already read it. It's in Matthew chapter 4, and it's verses 18 through 20. I'm going to skim this today, you should know. When we do book series, I say, we're going to talk about things, or we're not going to talk about things you wish I would, and we um, are going to talk about things you wish I wouldn't. Today's one of those days. Matthew four eighteen twenty. 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them. I just want to imagine this scene for a second. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. The next verse, we see Peter's impulsive behavior. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Like, no dialogue, no debate, uh, no discussion. Jesus says, Come and follow me. And Peter and Andrew drop their, like, they just go. Do you know anybody like that who's just that impulsive? They just go. How, does, how did tra- Jesus, Peter's transformation happen? It began with a call from Jesus and a simple act of obedience. That's how we're going to be talking about these different texts today. Like, we're going to read a little bit of text. We're going to talk about a little bit of text. Then we're going to ask, how how is Peter being transformed here? How are we seeing Peter's transformation? And my guess is, as we do that, we're going to see some things that are for us in this story. So Peter's transformation began with a calling by God and a simple act of obedience. He just went. Dropped everything and he just went. In Matthew Uh, chapter 14 verses 22 to 31 this is one of the verses that also Cody uh, referred to the disciples are on a boat and this is Matthew uh, 14 verse 24 meanwhile the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves about three o'clock in the morning Jesus came toward them walking on the water when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter, no, Peter, called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. See the impulsiveness of Peter? Peter? Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Jesus, save me. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? How did Peter's transformation happen? It continued when Peter wanted to be with Jesus. He saw Jesus doing something that he didn't understand that was scary, that was frightening, that was fearful, yet he still wanted to be with Jesus. And what I love is when, when he failed, this is important for us when Peter failed, he cried out to Jesus. He knew who his Savior was. We're going to go to a different book. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9. Christians call this the, the transfiguration. This is a scene where Jesus and a few of his disciples um, go up on the mountain. This is Mark 9, beginning at verse 2. Six days later, Peter James, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzlingly white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking to Jesus. Like, so you should know that, that as Christians, um, like we believe this happened. Like this thing that we're reading about actually happened. And sometimes it's helpful for us to try and try and put ourselves in the shoes of the characters of the story. Like can you just imagine this for a minute? Go up to the top, imagine if it were the bluff, right? You walk up to the top of the bluff and all of a sudden the person that the person that you're with, their clothes become dazzlingly white and they're transformed. And then the next thing you know Moses and Elijah are standing next to jesus what what would you do how would you react i love peter's reaction peter exclaimed rabbi it's wonderful for us to be here let's make three shelters as a mem- as memorials one for you one for moses and one for elijah jesus let's build each of you a tent Like, that's Peter's response to seeing this thing. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I think this is another image of Peter's transformation. There's someone in Peter who is not afraid to be who he is. Completely unpretentious, like he's just he's unashamed and unembarrassed of who of who he is. He knows who he is. He's authentic. He's real. He's not he's not putting on airs. He's not he's not saying what he thinks Jesus wants to say. He's just he's just being himself. We go back to Matthew chapter 16. Declaration and defeat. There's this scene where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, who, who is everyone saying that I am? As you guys, disciples, as you're kind of out and about and you're doing the things in the community that you do, like what's the, what's the word on the street about Me? And the disciples replied, this is verse 14 of Matthew 16. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, like this is interesting who people think Jesus is. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? It doesn't, doesn't matter what all of these other people say about my identity who who do you say that i am verse 16 simon peter answered you are the messiah the son of the living god jesus replied you are blessed simon son of john because my father in heaven has revealed this to you you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So here's this person. Who do you say I am? And you're the Messiah. And he gets it right. Right. Like his his brashness and his impulsiveness, he gets it right. And then, in my Bible, I turn the page. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Imagine that transition you are the Messiah, you're right, I am the Messiah. And disciples, here's here's what that means. We're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested, and then I'm going to die. How would you feel in that moment? But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. How did, how did Peter's transformation happen? Well, in the first part, Peter didn't let What other people thought about who Jesus was clouded his reality of who Jesus was. They thought he was a prophet. They thought he was a great teacher. They thought he was this. They thought he was that. And Peter, in the first instance in this moment, he didn't let what anybody else said get in the way of who he knew Jesus to be. And I think there's something in there for us as Christians today. Lots of people think lots of different things about Jesus. And the question is, what, like, what's the truth? It doesn't matter what other people think of who Jesus is. It matters who we say Jesus is. And that goes, that goes for us in this room today. You may not be a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter who I think he is. You're not going to be judged on who I think Jesus is. You are going to be judged by who you say Jesus is. Peter is not embarrassed and not ashamed about that. Another thing that we see in this text is that when Jesus confronts Peter, he is rebukable. This, this moment when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, this doesn't end the relationship. If we were to um, look at the next chapter in Matthew, Matthew 17, we see the transfiguration actually comes after this moment. So get this for a second. Peter has just reprimanded Jesus, who then rebukes Peter, and then invites Peter to go up on the mountain with him. See, our, our sinfulness, our sinfulness is not so terrible that we cannot come back from it. Jesus does not let Peter's sinfulness, doesn't let him wallow in that sinfulness. There is a relationship with Jesus. Peter's transformation wasn't stymied, it wasn't ended because of one sin, and I think sometimes we live in this space where we commit a sin and then we sort of go into retreat mode. Like God doesn't want to see me for a few days. I'm going to go hide for a couple weeks. That's not what we see in this story we see transformation happening when we, when we sin, when people sin, Jesus welcomes them. Jesus wants to be in their lives. Jesus wants to be in relationship. We go now flipping back toward the end of Matthew, Matthew 26. Verses 31 through 35. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. It isn't, it's always Peter. Even if no one else, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Ah, oh, Brash, impulsive Peter. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me. Brash, impulsive Peter, no, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. One of the things I love about Peter is just like, he's, he's just so sure of himself. He's just so confident of himself. He's confident of his own strength. And we flip the page to verse 69. Jesus has been arrested. He's been before the council. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. Here it is. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. And one of the other Gospels, it talks about this moment where the, at the third denial, like, like Peter kind of looks across the courtyard and his eyes are met by Jesus, his eyes staring at him. Suddenly Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. So I've been reading through and spending time with Peter in the Gospels. Book of Acts, First and Second Peter, over the last few months. It kind of strikes me that um, Peter's just a regular guy. Peter kind of reminds me of me, actually. Not just in the brashness and the impulsiveness of which I am both. But in the way that Peter wants to do one thing and persistently does the wrong He's so confident in himself. He's so cocky in himself. And as we read through the Bible, what we see is these people are just like us. See, the only person who's on a pedestal in the Bible, rightly, is Jesus. If we start to compare ourselves to any other people, and and it's so normal for us to look at Bible characters and and think about how great they are. And Hebrews 11 is a great chapter for that. These people by faith. We can look back and we can see examples of, of tremendous faith and tremendous triumph. But I would tell you that if you, if you get past the faith part in Hebrews chapter 11, like you were to flip back and you were to read any of their stories, you would see they're just, they're just a bunch of stinkers. They're just, they're just people who are sinful people who God is using despite their sinfulness. And this is, this is Peter's story. And as you think about that, like the transformation process is much slower than you think it is. Kind of talked a little bit about this. Like, I don't know how long you have been a Christian, how long you've been following Christ. For me, it's about, I gotta do math. I'm not good at math. I went to Bible college. Um, less than thirty years, and I just thought naively, like back in 1996, 1997, I just thought naively that that by the time twenty twenty two rolled around, like I would just have a whole bunch of things figured out in my Christian walk. Now I have grown in my wisdom. I've grown in my knowledge. I've certainly grown in transformation. I'm way more like Christ now than I was in nineteen ninety six. I promise you, but I just, I just thought that this process was going to be faster. Some of the things that I wrestle with and I struggle with, I'm just like, oh, again, how how long? How long, oh Lord? See, this transformation process is long and tedious, and I don't want you, I don't want you to mistake that for the reality that the transformation is not happening. Sometimes we're in the middle of that transformation. We can't see it. But God's at work. And Peter's missing something in all of this. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. We're going to look at one more text from, this is the Gospel of John. This is at the end of John's Gospel. John 21. Jesus has been killed. Three days later, he's been resurrected. He hasn't yet ascended to heaven. I love the disciples. They just went back to being fishermen after the story. Thought the story was over. They're out fishing. Jesus shows up on shore. Tells them that he has food for them. So Peter comes in. After breakfast, this is John 21, verse 15. Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these one of the things that I found so amazing about this text is notice what, notice what Jesus is calling Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Why did Jesus call Peter Simon, son of John? Why did he call him by his old name was it was it some sort of subtle reminder of peter's persistence to live out his old life to live out his old identity was there some other thing at work in the midst of this i don't know honestly i don't know the answer for you i wish i knew i'm gonna look at it this week and what i would encourage you if you're in small group that would be a great question to have you can let us know what the answer is next week but it's on purpose Jesus is doing something by calling him this old name and i want you to notice that what Jesus does not ask Peter is Jesus will you just never sin again or Peter will you just never sin again Peter will you will you stop making mistakes in your life Will you stop making these terrible choices? That's not what the restoration is about. Love this quote from Alexander McLaren. He said, Jesus Christ asks each one of us, not for obedience primarily, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. Do you love me? Peter. Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus knows this reality that what he needs, what Simon needs is to give his heart. That's the marker, that's the measurement. And then Jesus left. If we were to flip over into the book of Acts, we see that Jesus leaves. But before he did, he told the disciples to return to Jerusalem and wait. What would they wait for? What are they supposed to do next? Acts 1. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times that are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's here's the missing link. Here's the thing that, that is going to unlock Peter. Here's the thing that, that's going to unlock all of us. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the, the secret sauce behind Peter's transformation. is the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. I'm going to read... This is Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit had given them this ability. So, So they're there, they're waiting. The Holy Spirit descends and they start talking all of these different languages. We ask why? Why does that matter? Because all of these people, all of these Jews from all over the known world were gathered in Jerusalem in that moment and they're from all of these different places and spoke all of these different languages and all of these people who are gathered in Jerusalem hear all of this noise going on and they can't figure out what's going on so they go running to the place where the disciples are and the disciples go outside and, and what they hear is just the gospel in their own language and they they can't figure it out verse 12 they stood there amazed and perplexed what can this mean they asked each other verse 13 but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying they're just drunk that's all and verse 14 then peter stepped forward and with the 11 other apostles, and shouted to the crowd. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. I love this. This is like the brashness, like Peter just can't resist. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Like this little thing inside of him, like he has to get a little sarcastic comment in. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they'll prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter still seems very impulsive, doesn't he? Still seems very brash. Still seems very confident. There's like a slight change in it. And that slight change is the Holy Spirit. That was the that was the thing that Peter had been missing, and and he had been with Jesus, and he had been with Jesus for three years, and the disciples, and he'd seen all of these things, and yet there was still something that that he was that he was missing. And the thing that Peter was missing was was the Holy Spirit. Because transformation is only possible through the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason Peter was transformed. And today, one of the things I want you to know is the only thing that's going to transform you is the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing. It's the only fix. I think, there are, I think there are a couple different kinds of people who are here. Even today, even on a day where it's snowy, like you all came out, which is so wonderful. I think there are a few different kinds of people here uh, this morning. Um, there are people who aren't followers of Christ here. There are non-Christians who are here in the room. There are non-Christians who are, who are watching. And, and here's, here's a reality in this. Um, like there is this, there is this ceiling that you are going to hit in your spiritual life that you will never be able to break through without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life like i don't i don't know where that ceiling is for you i don't know where that spot is for you maybe maybe god will be gracious and you will have a tremendously high ceiling where you, where you can learn and you can see that god is working in your life and and you can you can see that he's calling to you and he's tugging on your heart and he's doing all of these things but eventually here's what's going to happen you're going to you're going to hit a ceiling and the reason that you're going to hit that ceiling is because, because you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus. You might, have, you might have done a lot of really great church things. We've been talking a lot about the importance of the gathering. we are talking about all of these things over the... Like, you might do all those things, and, and you can do those things and not be a Christian. You can do a lot of things and not be a Christian. What's going to happen is you're going to be capped. You're going to hit a ceiling. And today would be just a fantastic day for you to make that choice to follow Christ. And sometimes, like, I think, like, you know, people who maybe come here time and time again or attend, go to church time and time again, and it's like they hear and see what other people are doing. It's like, I wish I had that. 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 Well,. Here's what they have. They have the Holy Spirit. And what I'm not trying to do is create any doubt. Like if you, are, if you are following Christ, you're in love with Jesus, you are pursuing him out of obedience. I'm not trying to sow any doubt in you. I've, like You're next. You're next on my category list. But I think there are times where where if we're not a follower of Christ, we might see what other people have and what, what other people are doing and like we want to we wanna learn that same thing. We want to be able to read and understand Scripture. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Today would be a fantastic day for you to make that decision. I would love to talk to you about that afterwards. Here's, I think, the second person. Um, I think there are Christians who are in here today who are running junk miles. Let me explain what a junk mile is. You may or may not know this about me, but I, I like to run. Um, I've been running since it sounds, it sounds weird when I say that I've been running since 2008, as though I've been running like for all those years in a row. I've been running since 2008. Um, 2014, I started like this little thing called a run streak. I've been running a lot of days in a row. and last year, we were in small group one night, and we were talking about something and like, I was kind of, one of the other people in our small group is a runner, and we started talking about running. And in the next day, I was like, you know, I, I know I used to run a lot more than what I run now. Of course, I was younger then, but I used to run a lot more than what I did what I do now. So I kind of scrolled back through, because as I said, I'm a recovering list keeper. So I, like, you ask me what, how many miles I ran on what day, and I can tell you. So I started just like scrolling back, and, and I had this month. It was, it was August of 2013. I ran 172 miles that month. My first thought was, what's wrong with me? My second thought was, that's a lot of miles. How, like, how did I do that? So I literally, I went in and I started, I started like seeing, like some days I, only, I ran this, some days I ran that, and the next thing I knew at the end of the month, it was like 172 miles. And what I realized was over the last year and a half, probably two years, actually since COVID, what I realized was despite the fact that I run every day, I love to run, I was running some junk miles. I was putting no effort into it. I was putting no energy into it into it I was just it was it was was muscle memory I think some of us are running junk miles when it comes to our faith I think it's muscle memory we wake up, we read the Bible because we're supposed to. We don't actually get anything out of it. We're not actually being transformed by it. We kind of throw up a prayer because we know that's what we're supposed to do. At the end of our quiet time, we close our Bible and it's just that we go out the door. And then the next day we do the exact same thing over and over and over and over again. And then we have, we have the audacity to wonder why we're not being transformed. we are running junk miles. We're not, there's no intentionality. We don't have a goal. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a desire to be more like Christ. We just read our Bibles because that's what we're supposed to do. And that can be such a dangerous spot for us of complacency, of personal comfort, of not wanting to be disturbed. And I want to encourage you, like the next day for me when I kind of Processed all of this out, like, like from this point forward, like all whenever I run, like I'm going to run with intentionality. I'm running with purpose. What I would encourage you to do if you're running junk miles in your Christian life, access the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it under your own strength, and pursue a relationship with God. Seek Him out. Recognize that your complacency isn't going to get you anywhere. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I was still a runner. I was just lazy. And there have been so many times in my life when I think back to, back to the way I interact with Scripture, just how lazy I am in not pursuing what God has for me. And then lastly, I think there are Christians who've never actually stepped out on faith. Notice I said there are Christians who I think have never actually stepped out on faith. I'm not telling you you're not a Christian. I'm saying you haven't actually stepped out on faith. Your faith hasn't led you to act. There hasn't been a manifestation. There hasn't been a demonstration of the reality of the faith that's within you. And it's kind of like the person who says, you know, when you roll into November, you say, okay, January one.'" Like for whatever that reason, that calendar is going to flip over, and your entire life is going to be different, right? New year, new you. Only about January fifth, you realize new year, same old you. Like literally, nothing has changed. See what what God is calling us to do is He's He's calling us to be a little bit like Peter. And when we are invited into something, when we are invited into something in faith, we we want to act. Not because we're earning our salvation, but we want to we act, we want to jump, we want to take advantage of that thing. And at Westwood, we've been talking a lot about that over the past month, Talked about the importance of gathering. For some of you, gathering is going to be an act, Is that's going to be your act. That's going to be the thing that you're going to say, like, I just need to be there. I need to step up, I need to do this thing. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, I just need to do this thing. We talked about giving. For some of you, like I know, I appreciated hearing Cody's story. For some of you, your story is I have said a thousand times that at the beginning of next month, I'm going to start to give. I have said, when I get a raise, I'm going to start to give. I have said, when I get that new job, I'm going to start to give. You have said, when we have a child, I'm going to start to give. Like, whatever that thing is. And the issue is, is that thing has just rolled over and over and over and over and over. And you find yourself, like, always, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And what I would encourage you in today, like, be impulsive like Peter Actually respond to what God is calling you to do. I think serving is the exact same way. Serve. Stop, stop setting a future date on your obedience. How's that? Stop setting a future date on your obedience. These are the things that we know God is calling us to. And then like Dave, go. Maybe not we're all going to go to Papua New Guinea. I think Dave would like that if we did. But we're all called to go. We're all called to talk about with our friends and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers what the gospel is. Like This is is what we're called to do. This, This is who we are as Christians. And I'm going to talk to college students for a second. It is really easy for you Summit students... Do you think that your ministry career begins after you graduate? Um, You, college students from Summit Christian College, are called to make disciples today. And it's not just for them, Christians. This is what we're all called to do. How are you going to respond What are you going to do? Peter has a lot of things that he's going to tell us in the next two months. And what I would encourage you to do is to to take advantage of the tools that we've given you to, to receive this transformation, to trust in what God is doing, to trust that it's going to be a long process for you. And God has something for you in all of this. God has this because he sent his son to die for you. We celebrate this. We remember this every single week at Westway Christian Church and we take communion together. We are are remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're remembering it. And it wasn't for nothing. It wasn't an empty thing. It was so that we could be saved and not just die and go to heaven, but so that we could live the life that he has for us. And this is a life that Peter lived. The bread is jesus's body that was broken for you take and eat the cup represents jesus's blood that was poured out for you take and drink let's pray God, we are thankful for your work in our lives. We're thankful that we have the example of Peter to see what transformation looks like. I ask that we, as we study Peter's letters over the next two months, that we would see that they are meant to transform us. That they are meant to to transform us in conjunction and through the work of the Holy Spirit. That we would be new people, that we would see that you are making us new. And as senior sons, and we pray.